0: Oh, thank you all for tuning in to the 411th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, I'm gonna thank you for making me and this show a part of your day, whether it be via Spotify iTunes Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting or platform you may be listening to me via. Gonna have a great pod for all you guys. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Going to have Landon Rhodes on the first half. Going to talk a lot of Packers. Devontae Adams getting traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. Aaron Rodgers deciding to come back to Green Bay. Also, we touch a little bit on the Deshaun Watson news. And I have Nathan on. Uh, who's the sports editor for the Kansas and the student newspaper for the Kansas Jayhawks, to talk about their run to the Final Four in the second half of the podcast. And with that, time for my shameless plug. As always, first-time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and check on the description below. Specifically, if you want to listen to certain parts of the podcast as opposed to others, I do it for your convenience, folks. Just click on the timestamp on Spotify specifically, right? Click on the timestamp and it'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you clicked on for your convenience. Again, PSA for you all. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain_Lane. Train underscore lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and they're a great review for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. It comes up next to the break on Barber Sports Talk. We're gonna have Landon Rhodes on the show. Coming up next to the break on Barber Sports Talk. Back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Landon Rhodes with us, host of the On the Road Sports Show. How you doing, Landon? Hey, Daryl. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So, Aaron Rodgers resigns with Green Bay. Big deal. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it's hard to argue that he doesn't deserve it. I mean, bottom line, I mean, he's the back-to-back MVP. Uh, it's it's hard to say that the you know two time defending MVP doesn't deserve to be the highest paid player. Of course, we just saw that broken. Uh, but I, it's hard to say he doesn't deserve the money. I guess. Uh, but the one argument you might have would be you know his age a little bit. But you know um, as, as a Packers fan, not not too mad about it. Uh, but it does make it a little harder to bring back some other guys.
0: Do you think there was ever a real chance? Of Aaron leaving Green Bay like when do you think what do you think was the closest we ever got to it just like from your feeling from the outside when was the closest were like maybe this could happen or you just like there's no way I felt like last
1: year was a lot closer than this year I don't know how close really we were either year you know I mean I was on record last year that he wasn't leaving this year I said the same thing I I mean, and part of that was me just being hopeful, but it, it is also what I really believed as well. Um, I think last year, offseason, a lot closer than this year. Um, but like I said, I felt confident he'd be back both times.
0: He seemed a lot happier this year. Uh, you can always tell when, I don't know if you listen to, do you listen to when he comes on the McAfee show?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay, so yeah, he, he seemed very jovial. uh, and for all he says, I think he loves Green Bay, he loves the fans, and I think he loves the adulation he gets. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he seems happier. It seems like him and Matt LaFleur do like have a better, you know, a better bond now. I think last season was really good for them. Uh, it seemed like everyone was happy in Green Bay, but then, I mean, of course, the Devontae Adams thing kind of blindsided me, and I think it blindsided a lot of people because it seemed like as a team – You know, they were all in on this, you know, run-it-back mindset for this next year. Apparently not everyone was on board with that.
0: How shocked were you when you found out Devontae was getting traded? Actually, where were you when you found out? What was your reaction, your first reaction? Uh, When I found out, I believe I was just in my
1: living room. Nothing nothing too special uh, in this situation, but I... I looked at my phone, and I saw it, and uh, I was pretty shocked about it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like what I I just said. I thought that they were all in on, you know, running back another year with this basically as close to the same team as we can get from last season. Maybe make a few positive changes to it through the draft or free agency or whatever. Probably mostly the draft, given Green Bay – doesn't usually like to go too crazy in free agency, um, but yeah, I thought you know the core was going to return at a minimum, and Devontae Adams. It goes without saying that he's a part of the core. So to see you know that guy go, I was like, ah, well, that's very unfortunate. But I'm not shocked at all by the location. I think he said in the past that he wants to play with uh, his old college teammate from Fresno, you know, Carr. And uh, I'm not shocked by the location. I'm shocked by the timing.
0: Do you think it's possible that Aaron and Devontae's connection was a lot better on the field than it was off the field? Because I also feel like it's a weird thing to go down. Like, I feel like there has to be some sort of conversation. He's like, hey, I'm about to sign. You're coming back too, right? Like,
1: yeah, in terms of like if they had discuss this before Aaron's deal yes
0: it sounds like Aaron was just you know whether he leaves he leaves I don't care or whatever but I, I would just feel like there would be more of a conversation about hey what's going on
1: yeah it seems like Rodgers wanted his money one way or the other uh there I think there is like a zero percent chance that this Adams News blindsided Rodgers they One way or the other, I'm sure he was aware that this was either potentially going to happen or definitely going to happen before he signed that deal. Uh, I mean, the Packers, really, the last thing they want is to ruffle Rogers' feathers in any way, and having his longtime number one receiver just up and leave right after you sign a new deal, that would definitely ruffle some feathers if he wasn't aware of it, so... For that reason, I say there's, you know, a 0% chance he was not aware.
0: So he just didn't care. It was just like, sorry, Devontae, but I got to eat. <laughs> like,
1: Yeah, I think he wanted his money. Um, and I mean, on the flip side, as far as like, yes, I think he likes Green Bay and everything. But, you know, it's really possible that he looked at his other options, you know, and just thought, I, I don't have a better shot in any of these places than Green Bay, potentially. I mean, we know, we know that Russ obviously went to Denver and everything, and the 49ers are like his childhood team, and of course just beat the Packers, but... The Packers
0: aren't giving Aaron Rodgers to the Niners, that's
1: not happening. Yeah, I, I don't think that would happen either, you know, given the NFC and everything, but there, there's a lot of factors. Uh, I think this entire situation, people like to try to simplify it a little bit too much. They're... There are multiple, multiple factors that go into this whole thing, and you really have to break them down individually, and then then you can start to get somewhere. But acting like this happened because of this sole reason, you know, blah 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 blah, that's not, and that's just not accurate. There are tons of factors that went into Adam's decision. There are tons of factors that went into Rogers' decision, and the end result, Rogers is in Green Bay. And Adams is in Vegas, so it is what it is.
0: So I think this situation is kind of like what it was in Kansas City when the Chiefs had to get rid of Tyreek, where it's kind of like, you're right, you still have the star receiver. The Packers, they have Adams, and it's like they're too far apart on the money. They don't think it's worth it. Both those guys, I believe, around similar age receivers, they typically get worse as they get on the wrong side of 30, not better and it's like we can get a bunch of picks and we can rebuild and we still have really good quarterbacks and we have a good organization a good structure and we think we can still succeed without them instead of breaking the bank for these guys. I think it was kind of that situation where it was too far apart because obviously Devontae, he wanted to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. And I personally don't think he's worth that. And I don't think, Green Bay obviously didn't think he was worth that.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of like over 30 thing, I do think that the type of receiver that Devontae Adams is Lends himself a little better to longevity than uh, Tyreek Hill, Correct. because Tyreek Hill rely, you know, relies on the athleticism. And not to say Devontae Adams isn't athletic; he's insanely athletic, but he's not a speedster. His route running is probably his strength. And I think that that, you know, we've seen throughout NFL history, uh, frequently, you know, the route running type guys can keep it going longer. I tend to agree with you that I don't know if he's really worth the highest paid non quarterback that's that's yeah it's testing the limit for me i would say but then it raises the question who is like who does deserve to be I, the highest paid non quarterback
0: well i per- well i know we're going to disagree on this i, I personally don't even think Devontae's the best wide receiver in the nfl but i i don't think i would pay any wide receiver uh that type of money i, mean, I think i would running back i would only do edge and tackle offensive tackle and edge Okay, okay. Like, really elite left tackle. Like, Aaron Donald on the defensive line. Khalil Mack and his prime. Those are the type of guys that I would say top non-QB money. Maybe, maybe a super, super elite shutdown corner. Maybe, and I'd have to think about that. But linebacker, no. Safety, no. Running back, hell to the no. Uh, (laughs) No. Like, I I just wouldn't do that. I think that's bad business. I, I don't think any receivers really worth that. And I don't think he's even the best wide receiver in the NFL, so I, I think Green Bay was right.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think they have a chance to rebuild the offense, but Valdez Scantley leaving as well hurts. I mean, that was the number two receiver, so... Uh, having that on top of it is really not ideal for Green Bay, but hopefully they can draft a receiver um, or two, maybe draft two receivers. They do have Robert Tunyon, the tight end, coming back. He tore his ACL last year, so uh, he was solid before that, so hopefully he can regain uh, that. Alan Lazard, he, he I do think he improved uh, you know, over his time, but uh, he's still pretty young. And we'll just see how the Packers offense I don't know can develop but I agree with you it's risky with the running backs uh just because of injury and stuff but the Packers do have two good ones in Aaron Jones and Dylan as well so the offense is not you know it's not without its weapons but it undoubtedly needs to reload after losing one like Adams
0: and I'd be curious to see your opinion on this I also think it's because right Devontae was there for two distinct eras the Matt LaFleur era and the McCarthy era I think you can see notice, noticeably, and I think you can see this in the statistics, he took a very sharp incline when Matt LaFleur got there, and they kind of changed the system a little bit. So I think it could also be that Matt LaFleur is kind of like, we think our system made, kind of put you to like another level where you're in that stratosphere as the best wide receiver in the NFL, and we don't actually think you're that good.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it, the, the stats next year will tell the tale, but in terms of like you know i'm a big i'm a big fantasy football guy i personally think that adams will probably get drafted higher than he should next year i would not be surprised at all to see a slight regression in his stats at least slight maybe maybe moderate but uh, that's not to say he'll have a bad season though he he's been phenomenal he could have a decent size you know step backwards in his statistics and still have a great year cuz he's been that good recently.
0: Do you think Aaron Rodgers looks bad uh with how much money he took?
1: It's I mean the the bottom line is 151 million guaranteed and then your top two receivers both go elsewhere. It's hard to look good in that, you know, when that's what's on the table. Also, uh, so, uh Darius Smith, the linebacker, left as well. So, like, when, when you put all that together, it doesn't look good. But, like I said, I don't think he's in the wrong for believing he's worth this money. I mean, like I said, back-to-back MVP, it's hard to argue with. He is a little older, you know. He, he's on the old side of things now. So, I guess that would be one of the arguments against the money. But... I mean, side note here, very brief side note, if the whole Henry Ruggs incident didn't happen, I almost wonder if Adams would still be in Green Bay for now, and he would have waited until later in his career to go there. I know that's pure speculation, but I'm just saying, if if the Ruggs situation didn't go down, I wonder, I wonder if we would have seen this even.
0: You know... I think we still would have, because I think McDaniels, I I think he's a guy that at this point in his career, obviously Denver didn't turn out well when he was the head coach there. He's had a lot of time to be under Bill Belichick, so I think he realizes he needs to start fast, because he wants to implement eventually this New England system, this kind of hard approach to coaching. And the bottom line is if you're going to do that, you have to win, right? If you're going to treat players a little bit differently, you have to at least have the respect of, like, my formula works. So I think... He's really trying to start fast, particularly with how tough uh, the AFC West is going to be uh, with the Chiefs, the Chargers, uh, the Broncos just got Russell. So I think it's more of that where he's like, OK, Derek, obviously they have their familiarity being at Fresno together. But I think it's like we need to start fast. We need to get guys in here right now. Like we can't take a step back because this was a team that was in the playoffs without him. So he, he wants at the very least to be the same thing with him.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. He probably did want to get off to a to a very fast start and the way gotta be honest, the way that division's looking, the bottom team could still be a very good team next year. Like all four of those teams are, are pretty good and I think the Raiders, you know, they have a good shot. I, I feel like to me, I mean at this point we're just like making predictions here, but I feel like the Raiders maybe will be like the, the second out of that out of that division. Um, but I, I don't know about if they'll be the first. But getting Adams, yes, that does jumpstart them right out of the gate. And yeah, it's really there's no saying what the rugs situation, what that impacted. But it was just something I thought about that I was wondering if this might have not happened.
0: Not sure. Maybe they get back rugs in a deal too. That could have happened as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I, I always thought that. Devonte would eventually team up with Kaw, but I really felt like that was going to be a late career move for Adams. Not like not so late in his career that he's like an old man, but later than currently, like maybe like two years down the road, something like that. Um, but I mean, no, the Raiders are getting a prime Devontae Adams, and you know, credit to McDaniel's as well as the GM. You know, go streaks. I know. And it's
0: also interesting, too, because, right, Devonta, you mentioned great route runner. Darren Waller tight end, really good underneath. Uh, Hunter Renfro, great route runner. And that's kind of what the New England system was built on. Short, five, seven-yard passes. Uh, even Josh Jacobs, he's really good out the backfield. So I think that's also kind of what Josh McDaniel's vision is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, the Raiders took, uh, is it their right tackle
0: or their left tackle? I know Leatherwood, he struggled a bit uh, last year. But yeah, the Alabama
1: tackle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they've been using picks on the O-line as well. So they they have something building on the offense for sure. And, you know, with Max Crosby on the defense, they've been, uh, I don't know, they've, they've been working on the defense as well. I think they're going to be a good team for sure. Uh, what I will say, though, is having listed off, you know, the uh, offensive improvements, Derek Carr is really going to be hard-pressed. If he doesn't, if he doesn't succeed this year, honestly, like he he's in a position with a lot of good weapons around him. If Carr struggles this year, I don't. I mean, we'll have to see the individual circumstances. But if he struggles badly, and there's not really anyone else to point the finger at, it's not going to be a good look on him because they've surrounded him with some good weapons.
0: What do you want, Green Bay? to do in terms of replacing the production that adams gave them
1: round one wide receiver uh, a lot of mock drafts i've seen had Olave fall falling to them you know late first round i don't really see Olave falling that far they might have to trade up if they want someone like that uh, of course garrett wilson as well but uh the mocks have wilson going before Olave that i've been looking at um I'm an OSU guy, so I would like either of those guys. But I really think you need first-round talent wide receiver. Um, That will make Rodgers happy, too. Uh, The Packers have really shied away from first-round receivers. I mean, Adams himself wasn't a first-round receiver. So, I mean, I don't know. I'll leave that up to the Green Bay scouts exactly who to go with. But it goes without saying you need to improve the wide receiver core. And then, you know, if there's some other places on the roster you need to patch up, go ahead and address that. But yeah, saying that they need to improve any other area as first priority other than the wide receiver core would be a complete joke. It's obvious to everybody.
0: Who do you like better, Olave or Wilson? That's so tough. I
1: Olave had a better college career but I think Wilson's going to be the better NFL receiver. So I'm going to say Wilson, but I could see both of them, you know, having great careers, but I, as on record, I'll say Garrett Wilson.
0: You know, I think what does help the Packers too is the NFC is looking really weak. And I would say the NFC North is a pretty navigable division. And if you just look at the NFC as a whole, like who is it? There's the Niners. They're going to have a different quarterback this upcoming year. Uh, and they were a special teams with blunder from actually beating the Niners, which I don't think people realize. Uh, mm-hmm. The Rams, uh, I think personally, if the Rams had to go to Lambeau, they would not have won that game. If you, yeah. I, I actually believe if you switched, if the 49ers went to Tampa and the Rams went to Lambeau, I think both the Packers and the Bucks would have met again, actually.
1: Yeah, I can see that. <laughs>
0: I I think the Packers would have ran the Rams out of there, uh, just like they did in the playoffs two years ago, and they did in the regular season. I I don't think the Rams would have gone to Lambeau, and that would have ended well. Uh, But even though still, right, the Rams, they're a Super Bowl champion, you still have them. Uh, So there's only a few teams, really, that they have to worry about. The NFC East, the Cowboys, right? I mean, in the South, obviously still uh, Brady's coming back in Tampa, but they're still like a top three, top four team in the NFC.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that helps things a lot, and the division is weak as well. And, I mean, yeah, I think Rodgers, as long as he's in Green Bay, will be in a position to contend the rest of his career. Uh, the Adams move didn't help anything, but that is not to say that, you know, they're not going to contend this year. They absolutely could come out of the NFC. It's just he, he's got to throw to somebody, his whole career Rodgers has made the most out of, you know, sometimes not the best receivers honestly, but he has some guys still. I didn't even mention, I mean I mentioned him but not as uh, like in terms of next year, but Randall Cobb, he's old, but he's someone Rodgers is familiar with. So he he's had some late stage wide receivers that he still had good success with during his career just because, you know, they know each other pretty well. So It's a good thing. As a Packers fan, I feel good about having Randall Cobb still on the roster. As you know, playoffs come around. That veteran receiver it can really make the difference sometimes. So I'm glad that we're not like an entirely you know young wide receiver core. We still have that veteran in there for a playoff run potentially.
0: Which team in the NFC North are you most concerned about? Um.
1: Probably the Vikings. I mean, it, it just kind of has to be. The, the Bears, it's going to be still a bit, I think. I, I like Justin Fields, obviously. He's, I think he's good. Uh, I hope he gets hit less this coming year. We'll see. They need to maybe address the O line a little. But uh, they lost um, Robinson as well. Alan Robinson left there, so that doesn't help them at all. Uh, so I'm not too worried about the Bears. The Lions, I think they're on the right path. I wouldn't be shocked if the Lions were the third out of the NFC North, and potentially, if a lot of things fall, maybe second even, maybe. But I don't, I don't want to make any crazy predictions. But I could, I could see, you know, a, a way in which the Lions are the second, but. Um, For now, I'm just going to go with the safe one, which is the Vikings, Dalvin Cook, you know, Jefferson. Kirk Cousins is a serviceable quarterback. He's not elite, but I would say he's good. And, um, yeah, they have some issues to patch up as well, but they could easily finish second.
0: So I want to go to the Browns now. Uh, Deshaun Watson, how surprised were you when that move went down?
1: I wouldn't have been too surprised if it had happened, like, a week before, but I was surprised given the coverage of his whole decision. The day that that news broke, I had just read something earlier in the day that was saying that, like, Atlanta was a lock, like, for these reasons, and it listed off, like, ten reasons why, like, Atlanta made so much sense, and then they were saying, well, if not Atlanta, then New Orleans, and I was like, okay, so seems like he's going to go to one of these like southern teams. I mean, that's what it seemed like. And then, next thing I know, Deshaun Watson to the Browns. But uh, I wouldn't have been shocked if it just wasn't for the way the coverage had been going recently leading up to that. It seemed like the Browns were just completely out of the running. So, uh, very surprised, but only because of how it was being covered.
0: How good do you think he makes the Browns?
1: I think he's a bit... I mean, you can't really overstate how big of an upgrade he is from Baker. I'm not going to say Baker's bad. I think a lot of the Baker hate has gotten a a bit out of control after this news. I don't think that Baker was the answer at quarterback. I will say that, you know, that's going to make all the Baker guys angry. But, I mean, I'm also not hating on Baker. I don't think he's bad. I think he could be a starter somewhere. I don't think Cleveland's that team. And I but Deshaun Watson as in terms of your question the upgrade, I think pretty substantial. People were saying when he was in Houston that he was like a top 5 quarterback. I don't is he still? He's out a year off now. We'll just have to see, but I mean he's a scrambler, which I also like. um uh, the Browns, the Browns are in a similar position to the Packers, though, honestly. They need a first-round wide receiver. So, you know, one of those OSU guys goes to Cleveland, one goes to Packers, I'll be a happy guy.
0: Do you think Baker was underappreciated in Cleveland?
1: It's, hmm, it's tough to say, because he gave them the playoff run, they beat Pittsburgh. That kind of thing is always tough, though, because it, it raises questions like, well, could a quarterback, you know, other than Baker have taken them even deeper in the playoffs? I don't want to sound unappreciative, you know, um, but there's always that type of question like, is Baker really the reason that they did that? He was the quarterback's the most, you know, important position on the field. So you can't say that he didn't do at least decently. He got them to the wild card. They beat Pittsburgh. I will say, though, that Pittsburgh game had some like crazy circumstances, like snaps over Big Ben's head, and like <laughs> the Steelers just completely looked horrible to start that game off. Um, but back, back to the subject, though. Baker is probably slightly underappreciated just because of the recent news. It seems like everyone kind of turned on him. Give him credit for the, the playoff run. If Deshaun Watson was in his position, I think they probably, at a minimum, beat the Chiefs as well in that next round. Given the fact that uh, he was going against Chad Henney uh, by the time that game was all said and done. Um, But we're really, really just speculating at this point. I I guess I'd say he's slightly underappreciated, yes.
0: Where do you think Baker's going to end up?
1: Back up somewhere, Okay. I know Seattle's been thrown out there. It, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just tough because people don't usually, NFL teams don't usually, like to have a polarizing figure as your backup quarterback, honestly. Like if the starter is, you know, a polarizing type guy like a Cam Newton, a Baker Mayfield, a, a very outspoken, fiery guy, that's one thing, but it just—it seems like in general they don't really—they like the backup to be kind of a quiet. Come in if they need to, you know, a, a Case Keenum, a Jacoby Brissett. Uh, those are two guys that Cleveland's had the last two years. And, well, they just Brian Hoyer now, but yeah, Brian Hoyer exactly. Just come in if you need them to come in. Nick Foles, Nick Foles is an example. Uh, New York Jets, Joe Flacco. There you go, Super Bowl winner, but he's still a quiet guy. And I just don't know what team would want to take the chance on the potential, you know, reopening of the Baker Circus as their backup quarterback. Is that really something you need? He'd be a quality backup if you can just get him to just kind of. I'm not going to pretend like he's the most dramatic guy in the world, but you know, he's had his moments where he's really stirred the pot here in Cleveland. He's been pretty outspoken against the media, uh, and I think he's been in the wrong for a lot of the things he said about the Cleveland media, uh, quite honestly. He's been kind of aggressive about that throughout his career here. And do you want that guy to potentially bring all that just to be the backup? I will leave that up to any NFL team that might want to make that trade, but Here's the thing, though, Daryl. What's the price for him then? What's someone willing to give up for that backup quarterback, too? A fourth? A fourth? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, may, maybe a fifth. Uh, I don't know. It, again, we're just speculating. Are we now, just assuming, but...
0: though, he's going to be a backup? That's where he's going. He can't be a starter now? Well, he could down the road. I don't see him starting next
1: season, though. I i i've read some things that say that a lot of nfl teams feel like he needs to kind of check his ego and that basically it's i don't know it's thought that a year on the bench could kind of check his ego a little bit but who knows how accurate that is but i i could potentially see it it could focus him back up um Yeah, I always thought he was a great quarterback, but I thought his ego sometimes hurt him, Uh, not just with the media, but literally on the field sometimes when he would be about this win at all costs thing, and like, I love the leadership, I love the fieriness, but it's just like, man, if you tore your shoulder, or whatever it is, take some time off, man, like you really, you're hurting the team sometimes, staying out there with this fiery attitude, When you're playing with one arm, like, really, it hurt him in multiple ways sometimes, his personality. I hate to say it, but...
0: What did he do against the media that you didn't like?
1: He would call out the Cleveland... He did it last year. He called out the Cleveland media. He he did it, I think he did it before I was even involved in the Cleveland media. Just saying that uh, their reports were made up, stuff like that. Mary Kay from Cleveland, he called her out, and then it turned out what she reported was very accurate. Actually, it was what some might call the truth, and uh, never heard an apology from Baker for calling her a liar, uh, never heard anything. Um, I don't know, maybe he was filming a commercial, I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah, if if only he got as many wins as he did commercials, he might have stuck around a little longer.
0: Is he the worst quarterback ever to have so many commercials?
1: Let me think about that. Hmm, well, off the top of my head, I can't even think of a quarterback near him in terms of skill. That, Dak uh,
0: has a lot of commercials, has, but Dak's way better.
1: Dak's, yeah, Dak's a lot better. <clears throat> um, I don't know, and I don't mean this in a pointed way, but I seriously think Baker's height hurts him as a quarterback. and. I'm not as tall as Baker, so I'm not trying to, like, call him short or, like, try to be mean about this. But I'm being 100% serious. It seemed like sometimes the only way you could see over the O-line was to, like, bootleg out away from the O-line. And I don't know if that's what it was, but I don't know.
0: Landon, thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, You're always great
0: got him next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk we're going to have Nathan on sports editor for the Kanzian. got him next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Nathan Swaffer, sports editor for the Kansian. How you doing, man?
2: I'm
1: doing great. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So the first question I have to ask you is, just just give an overview for all of us. How did Kansas get here? Well,
2: this has been a really interesting season for Kansas. They came in, ranked number three in the country, the AP poll, they had these incredibly high expectations they got a great recruiting class they had a great transfer class led by Arizona State guard Remy Martin who lead scorer in the Pac-12 last year and you know they came into this season with such high expectations and part of the reason they never were able to really get rolling like people expected them to be is because Martin kind of dealt with injuries and lingering injuries kind of throughout the year um, that really limited what he could do kept him out for quite a few games And even though they were able to win consistently without Martin, you could tell they didn't have that swagger and, you know, really fast edge that they expected them to have coming into the year. And so a lot of people didn't expect much of them, you know, going especially into the Big 12 tournament. And then, you know, Remy Martin especially started to heat up. He started to bring a whole new element to this team, you know, really complimented Ochaobaji, consensus All-American has had, one of the best seasons we've seen from a KU player in a few years. He's the first consensus All-American at KU since Devonte Graham in 2018. And so when that entire team kind of got rolling in the Big 12 tournament, people started, you know, to say this is this is somewhat what we expected at the beginning of the year and how they should have looked all year. And they've really put it all together through the first four rounds of the NCAA tournament. Um, especially Remy Martin, he has had a fantastic tournament so far. Um, he was named the Midwest Region Most Outstanding Player. Um, had three double-digit performances, including I think a 23-point game against. Um, I think it was against Providence. I'd have to double-check. It was either against Creighton or Providence, but you know he was great. And he made up for a lot of offensive production, especially for Ochai Ojebi, who kind of struggled the first three games of Kansas' tournament run, but really woke up against Miami in the Elite Eight, eight for 12 shooting, had 18 points. And, you know, this this entire team really complements each other, not just Martin and Baji, but then you added Christian Brown, who's emerged as a very physical player, and he's been great. David McCormick, even though he's been a bit inconsistent throughout the year, has really shown up when Kansas has needed him. And you've got a great complimentary cast as well. I wouldn't even consider Jalen Wilson a complimentary um, cast because he's he's had a great season as well. Even though he got off to a slow start, he's really turned it on over the last month or two. Um, and then they've got great depth pieces. You know, even though Dewan Harris actually starts over Remy Martin, you know he's he still gets a lot of minutes. He's great defensively. He's not a dynamic scorer, but. You know, he does all the dirty work, and then they've got a great bench presence. Mitch Lightfoot, you know, sixth year senior, seems like he's been here forever. He's played a very big role on this team. You know, people like Jane coleman Lands, K.J. Adams, Zach Clements, Joe Yesifu. They've, They've really started to finally put it together, and they started to look like the team a lot of people expected them to be at the beginning of the season, and they're doing it at the right time.
0: At what point in the tournament, or maybe this was a moment for you in the regular season, where you like when you were like, "This can be a Final Four team."
2: So that probably came in their semifinal matchup in the Big Twelve tournament. A lot of people, you know, at the beginning said, "Yeah, this this can be a Final Four team. They definitely can." But it really came in their semifinal Big Twelve championship matchup against TCU. That's really when you saw how good, if, if you got Remy Martin going, if you got Ocea Abaji going, if you got everybody going, that's kind of where we saw, okay, this team can be really great. Because, you know, in that TCU matchup, Ocea just went off 22 points, I think 9 for 17 shooting. Remy Martin had 10 points. Um, Mitch Lightfoot, even off the bench, had an impressive 15 points. You know, Wilson and Brown both had nine. Even though McCormick didn't have a great game, he still had five. And that's kind of when we really first saw that okay, maybe maybe this team is starting to look right. And then they really proved it in the championship game against Texas Tech, where even though nobody really stood out point wise, that's because, you know, the five um, they had five guys in double figures. David McCormick had eighteen. Um I think DeVos had sixteen, Martin had twelve, Brown had fourteen, I think Wilson had twelve as well. And that's kind of where it was really cemented like, okay, this team is looking really good right now. They're peaking and they just continued that momentum into the tournament. And especially Grammy Martin has, I mean, in the opening game against Texas Southern for them, um, I believe he had I think he had 15. yeah, he had fifteen points. Um, did even better against Creighton. He had 20 points. Turned it up even again against Providence. Had 23. He took a step back against Miami, but it wasn't even really a step back because everybody else contributed so heavily. So this team has really grown over you know in the month of March. They they've lived for this month, especially Remy Martin, because he's only gotten better as March has gone
1: on.
0: What do you think was the key? Because I think the most impressive. Game for this team in the tournament was that Providence game against a Providence team that was kind of hot. Like I believe the first, the first round match was a bluff. The other one was pretty good. I think a lot of people might have even been picking Providence to possibly upset Kansas. What do you think were the keys for them to kind of winning that kind of handily towards the end?
2: Well, their defense in that game was about as good through two halves as it's been all year. They they were really able to. You know, stifle like you said a great Providence team who, you know, up to that point was just dominating. I think they had hit double-digit threes in their previous round, or at least they got close. And then they held Providence to four for twenty-three from behind the arc. They held them. You know, I think, I think it was, I think it was under forty percent from the field as a whole in that game. And you know, they really didn't have to play so good on offense because. You know they only had two double-figure scorers in Ray Martin, Jalen Wilson, and you know those those two played so incredibly well. They combined for over half of KU's points that game. So you know in terms of defensive capabilities, that game has probably been the most impressive one they have played this season. But I I could argue that the second half they had against Miami was by far the best half of basketball we've seen all season from the Jayhawks. They outscored them, I think. Forty-seven to 17, 47 to nineteen, something like that. It wasn't even close. Um, they just absolutely stifled Miami on both ends of the court, and so you know, like, uh, you know, like I said before, this team's really peaking at the right time, and they're they're winning games pretty impressively, even if they don't, they can't get into their groove, especially on the offensive end, because they they didn't do that well against Providence. Um, they were never really able to get you know their game going, which they thrive in transition, and we saw how good they can be if, you know, they just they run the floor against Miami in that second half. I mean, it was attractive, and as good as Miami is in transition, they could not keep up with the firepower that KU had. So, you know, these last two games, especially, we've seen KU win in different ways, and, you know, they're, they're finding ways to win no matter what right now.
0: You think Kansas was the most slept-on one seed coming into the tournament?
2: Um, I don't, I wouldn't say that because I'd say Baylor, um, Baylor, you know, you could argue was the most undeserving one seed, mostly because, you know, they, they lost to Oklahoma in their first big 12 tournament game. And a lot of people said, there's no way they'll get a one seed, but you know, then the dominoes fall, Kentucky loses, Auburn loses, um, Duke loses. I think, yeah, I mean, everybody else lost. So Baylor got that one seed. Um so I think a lot of people slept on them but I would also say that they did it rightfully so because Baylor had struggled with injuries all season they had struggled to stay healthy and they just they they couldn't you know find that consistent you know depth lineup with all those injuries so but in terms of you know could this team actually you know win at all I do think KU slept on a lot of people didn't expect them to make it out of what I think a lot of people who watched KU basketball over the last you know 5 to 10 years considered about as favorable as a region as they could have gotten. I mean, you look at one seed like Arizona just got an absolute brutal, you know. They got an absolute brutal region. I mean, they faced, in what my opinion, was a top 15 TCU team in the second round. So, but in terms of, you know, KU actually being slept on as one seed, I I would say yes. They definitely have. I don't think they've really gotten the credit or, you know, they don't have – you know what some people would consider the sexiest storyline you know you look at the other side of the region north carolina you know comes out as an eight seed you know duke and coach k trying to win the national championship in his last season you know nova people 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 you know consider them you know overrated all year they make it all the way to the final four um, but you know kansas has in a sense been slept on people have forgotten about them. And I think they're starting to remind people that, you know, we are a national championship team and we can win this whole thing.
0: So I actually do have to quickly ask you this about Baylor. Uh, they're in the Big 12. Last year, how good was last year's Baylor team? Because I think the oh, people don't really realize how good they were with Davion Mitchell and all those guys and how they shredded Gonzaga. That
2: that team, you know, it, it's interesting because when KU played them, KU didn't have the best team last year. They they struggled, admittedly. Um Cause they they lost core pieces. You know, Yudoka Azebuki and Devon Dotson, who you could have made arguments for both first-team All-Americans the year before they lost that, and they've been, they didn't really have a you know, stifling offense like they've had this year. But I remember watching both those Baylor games. They traveled down to Waco first, and they just got smacked. I mean, it wasn't even close. They made KU look like a bottom of the Big 12 team, dominated them in all facets, and you know, it was interesting watching Baylor coming to Allen Fieldhouse later in the season. Um, KU actually managed to beat them. That was their first loss of the season. But I kind of thought from that point on, you know, Bay- Baylor's going to, they're going to make a run. That team was so good. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how they, you know, obviously they've had injuries this year, but they had a lot of returning players. You know, obviously they didn't have some, you know, like you mentioned, but... That that Baylor team last year—that's that's probably the best Big 12 team, um, or at least one of the best Big 12 teams we've seen in the last five or six years. I I'd have to make an argument. This might be a little biased, but I have to make an argument that the 2019-2020 KU team was just as good and possibly better. But you know that that Baylor team last year, in my opinion, one of the best national championship teams in the last five years.
0: How good was Davion? Oh, he was—he
2: was so good. You know, I was a—I was a freshman at KU last year. I didn't—I never wa- I didn't watch basketball, you know, super closely like I've had this season because I wasn't on the beat. But you know, Davion Mitchell brought something to that team that Baylor hadn't seen in quite a long time. You know, he was—he was able to really just change that team, change their dynamic, and i mean it's hard to it's it's hard to explain how good he was' because he just he dominated you in so many ways and i I really only saw him play you know one or two bad games and I wouldn't even consider him super bad but you know one of them just just happened to be against k u in their second game I'm trying to think what' he scored in that game he he wasn't he really wasn't that great i'm trying to think but i mean i think he shot like five for 15 and you know i only had 10 10 or 12 points but you know i'll just say i'll say this about last year's team as well him and oh who, who am i thinking i think it was jared butler is that 2020? yeah jared, jared butler he he and jared butler um for Baylor last year, made such a dynamic duo, and they worked off each other so well, and man, I mean, Davion Mitchell, he, he he truly was a generational Big 12 talent that, you know, deservedly so went top 10 in this year's draft.
0: And even this year, you can see how good he is. He's an amazing defender. That, that, that guy yeah. is he, he is something. He is something I was like. Yeah,
2: I mean, he truly is a great talent.
0: So who would be some of your best Big 12 players the last four or five years?
2: Mm, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, in terms of, you know, what I look at at KU, which is what I know best, the players that I tend to look at this year, you know, obviously you have Ochaibachi, who consensus All-American, National Player of the Year candidate. He has had just an incredible season, averaged just a hair under 20 points. He would, I think he would have only been the third player under Bill Self to do that behind Frank Mason and Wayne Simeon. But he's been great this year. Obviously, Davion Mitchell last year, and Jared Butler. Um, in 2020, you had Yudoka Azubuki, who was, has been one of the most dominant centers, in my opinion, that the Big 12 has seen in a long time. I mean, he, he just was so good down low. He was a defensive menace and if he got the ball, he, he, he was most likely either dunking over you or passing out to an open three because he was getting double or triple team. Devon Dotson was on that same squad with Dope, and he was one of the fastest point guards that I think Bill Self has ever had, and I think he was second team All-Big 12, but I would give him an argument for first team and maybe even first team All-American. Um, back in... Um, 2019 with Texas Tech Jarrett Culver was a great town as well he really dominated the Big 12 and took over games by himself 2018 you had Devontae Graham who was a consensus All-American for KU as well he, he was a national player of the year candidate and he was he was just a great player too and I, I, I'd even go back a little further and take a look at Buddy Heal I've I watched Oklahoma that season. I had never seen domination like what Buddy Heald did. When KU and Oklahoma played in Allenfield House, they were number one and number two in the country. And I think Buddy Heald, I want to say he scored like 42 points um, against KU. He was just, he was absolutely fantastic. He scored 46. And to to this day, that is one of the greatest college basketball performance I've ever watched, and I look back on it now, and I still can't believe that Oklahoma lost that game. But you know, KU was such a balanced team that year. But in terms of what I've seen over the past, you got you also have to throw Frank Mason in there for KU in 2017. He was absolutely fantastic. You know, he was kind of look. he wasn't looked upon that big coming out of high school he was overlooked by an incredible recruiting class that Bill Self had that included Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins and he grew as a player and his senior year he was just unbelievable you know one national player of the year you know he he and Buddy Heald especially have probably been the two best players I've seen Big 12 in the past you know five to six years and I have to say, Buddy Hill is one of the best talents I've ever seen playing college basketball.
0: So I know, Cade. So where would you put Cade in that hierarchy?
2: He, he's up there. Um, I think one of the things that you look at with Cade, Cade Cunningham, was a, a, an absolute fantastic player. You know, everybody knew he was coming into Oklahoma State, and he he played like it. But the one thing that I kind of give the other guys over Cade is that, you know, Cade was an unbelievable freshman, but you know, you look at people like Buddy Hill, Devontae Graham, Frank Mason, all seniors, they they grew throughout their college career, and I think one thing that, Cade, Cade was a great leader in Oklahoma State, I can't deny that, but man, I mean, Buddy Hill, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Yudoka uh Davion Mitchell, those were all absolutely incredible leaders on their team, and I think they have just that little bit over Kate Cunningham, and, you know, no no, no offense to Kate, but those other guys also had much more tournament success um, than Kate Cunningham did, and, you know, obviously Cunningham didn't have the supporting cast that an Oklahoma or a KU has, but... They, they, those guys were just unbelievable leaders and um, had unprecedented tournament success. I still think one of the biggest atrocities that has ever happened to a Big 12 player is that Frank Mason never managed to make a Final Four, which, you know, you look back at the career he had, especially his senior season, and you think, how on earth did he never even make the Final Four? But, you know, although... Kate's right up there with him, though. In, term, in terms of pure talent... He, he's probably on top, just coming in as a freshman and being as good as he, he was last year. He was he was fantastic and tr- truly is a generational talent. And I, I hope he maybe finds
0: a better team in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably not the best place to go if you want your NBA career to get off yeah. on a, the best of starts. So my question to you is this, and Kirkman, if I'm wrong on this, Kansas hasn't seemed to have a lot of the top one-and-done guys the last few years, right?
2: Yeah, um, I, I would agree with that.
0: Why do you think that is?
2: Well, I mean, you obviously you have to address the elephant in the room, the NCAA, you know, pay-to-play scandals. Those, those have kind of hurt Kansas a little bit over the past few years in terms of recruiting. Um, but I'd also argue that those are sometimes the guys that Bill Self likes to target. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think the last time they had a real one-and-done guy. I think uh, that was probably jo- Josh Jackson.
0: I was even uh, going to say, the first one that came to mind was like Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> yeah, those guys were you know all the way back in
1: 2014. Josh Jackson was pretty incredible back in 2017.
2: Um, I think he went he to the top 10. I don't remember what pick exactly, but he was a great one and done guy, but you know, after that, you know Self hasn't gotten a lot of those guys. But I'd also say to that, is that the more that these guys go into Bill Self's system and really get groomed, the just the so much better they get as a full player. You know, you take a guy like Ojay Abaji who came in I think he was a two star out of high school. I think KU was Really, the only huge offer he got, and that was more because he was a local kid. I mean, he worked for three years. He worked hard. He had all the athletic abilities in the world, but you know, didn't have as much basketball talent as a one and done would have. And you know, he's, he's been here for four years, and now look what he's doing. You know, he kind of he kind of took a similar path to Devonte Graham and Craig Mason as well. Four years in this Bell Self system, and their senior year. Their consensus All Americans and up for National Player of the Year awards. And so, as much as Self hasn't gotten those one and done's, that really hasn't hurt him a lot in terms of a team success. Obviously, you know, 2019 was kind of a bad year for them. They had some injury issues. Yudoka as a boogie, you know, got injured, never really worked out. Same with Quentin Grimes on that team, just never really adjusted to that system because I think he could have been a one-and-done guy for sure, but he just never really fit into Bill Self's system. You know, 2020, they had a great team. No one-done guys got canceled by COVID. Last year was tough for them, too, because of COVID, and they didn't have the talent level that they usually have. But on that same note, I would look towards next year's recruiting class. Bill Self has five one-stars, including the National Gatorade Player of the Year, Grady Dick, who... My goodness has just absolutely lit up high school this year at Sunrise Christian Academy. You know, and then you've got guys like MJ Rice and Curtis Utah who, you know, can easily come in and be impact players in the freshman year. And I, I think you're gonna start seeing that change again. I think self is gonna go out and get some of those more top tier recruits that can easily be one and done's.
0: Why do you think he's gonna change it a little bit and start going for the one and duns again?
2: I think part of the reason is that you're not going to have this NCAA scandal hanging over your head because I do think that affected them a little bit. You know, recruits kind of looked at Candace and said, you know, is there something there that could affect, you know, whether I get to play in the tournament or something like that? And that I think that's getting wrapped up as we speak. We still don't know what the repercussions will be, but I think players have kind of started to look the other way to that. And I think they're seeing, you know, a lot, a lot, some of the guys that. Bill has gotten over the past few years. Like Grady Dick is a Wichita, Kansas native. He's worked, you know, with guys very close to KU. His trainer is actually here in Lawrence. You know, he he knows the system well. And I think I think people have started to really see how great of a coach Bill Self really is. Like everybody's known he's a great coach, but he's not been the best recruiter of getting you know the top tier talent. But I would argue that he's been one of the best recruiters of finding a diamond in the rough, like Frank Mason or Devontae Graham or Ocha Abaji. He just hasn't gotten, you know, those, those big, you know, sexy five stars like Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina or UCLA yeah. or, you know, any of the blue bloods. But I, I think that will start to change at least a little bit. It's not going to be permanent to where, you know, Bill's going to be getting three or four of the top ten players in the country because that's just not his style. And, you know, you still look at Duke and Kentucky – They're unbelievable recruiters. You know, John Calipari is possibly the best developmental coach when it comes to getting talent ready for the NBA. But, you know, I'd still argue that those one-and-done guys sometimes don't conform too well to Bill's self-system because, you know, sometimes it takes a few years to get used to that and maybe they don't fit in as well. But I I think Bill will start to get, you know, at least one or two five-stars a year kind of going into the future a little bit.
0: Where do you think Kansas ranks in terms of blue bloods in college basketball?
2: Well, I'll say this: they have the most all-time wins now. They, <laughs> just, they just set that record a few games ago. They finally passed Kentucky. You know, they've been trying to get there the last few years. Um, being able to finally pass that, you know, when, when, when you look at blue bloods, I kind of put it on a few. I, I kind of have my own, and I've lost the word. I guess, you know, pillars that you got to have. You, you, you have to have long term success at least over the last 30 years. Um, you probably should have multiple championships in that span. You know, you got to have consistent wins, consistent guys who are just lit up. So, it, you know, in terms of ranking them in the Blue Bloods, I kind of I wouldn't say that there is one above the other because I kind of think they put themselves into the tiers. I kind of look at tier one as, you know, North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, UCLA. Um, You could probably make a few arguments for others. You know, then you got, you know, your second tier, which you might have some of the new bloods. You know, Villanova, who's had unbelievable success under Jay Wright. Um, Indiana, maybe. I just think that they haven't had that much success over the last decade, or at least what you would expect out of consistent blue blood. But, you know, you've got all those teams, maybe even Gonzaga. I still think they need a national championship to really get into that blue blood category. But KU's up there with them all. Um, I, I really think they're right up there. They may not have what, you know, they may not have the national championships to show for it because, you know, in terms of NCAA championships, they've only got three, you know, compared to, like, Kentucky and UCLA who have unprecedented success winning championships. But in terms of,
1: Consistent success, they're just as good
0: as anybody else. Do you as somebody obviously you go to school at a, a blue blood, you cover a blue blood, do you enjoy the Cinderella runs?
2: I do as long as they don't come up
1: against change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you were cool with Saint Peter's. You were cool with Saint oh, Peter's. I, 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 St. Peter's, I, I can't lie. That's
2: that's one of the best Cinderella runs we've seen in recent history. You know, uh, you know, I, I won't lie. I have seeing Kentucky get beat a few times, but you know, that that run that St. Peter's had was as good as any Cinderella run as I've ever seen. Just because you've never seen you've never seen a 15 seed get all the way to the Elite Eight, and so that that was an incredible Cinderella run. Same with Oral Roberts last year, UCLA, yeah. Uh, you could even say North Carolina this year. You know, coming in as an eight seed, barely, barely made it into the tournament, and is now all the way in the final four. I mean, Cinderella runs are some of the best things to watch. I'll be honest, the the biggest scare that I've ever had, and I, you know, I was I was kind of a young guy. I think I was only eight or nine when this happened. Actually, I think I was six in two thousand eight when KU went up against Davidson and Steph Curry in the Elite Eight. That. That 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 was a little heart attack because that that Davidson team with Steph Curry was absolutely unreal, and that in my opinion that's one of the best Cinderella teams we've ever seen. So uh, I I do love me a, a good Cinderella story, and St. Peter's
0: this year is about as about as good as I've seen. What about those Butler teams with Brad Stevens?
2: Oh man, those Butler teams! I I, I still see Gordon Hayward's half court shot. Against Duke, if only it went in, that would have been great. But yeah, I mean, those those Buffett teams were absolutely fantastic as well, and you know, in large part thanks to Brad Stevenson, who is just an un- unbelievable coach. Obviously, went on to have some great success in the NBA with the Celtics. You know, those those Buffett teams are really good, and I, I put them up there in that top tier. I just, if only they could have managed to. Win it all that that kind of would have been the top, but I put UConn in that same category. But some of their Cinderella runs,
0: yeah, they had that one run with Kemba, that one year, and the other yeah. one with um, Shabazz. Yeah, no, UConn's been yeah, they they had some
2: great runs kind of in the early 2010s. There,
0: what makes Bill Self a great coach?
2: Wow, that's that's a pretty broad question. Bill Self is he's about as uh, homemade of a coach as he can. I mean, he worked, he worked his way up. He had some great success at Tulsa um, and Illinois and, you know, now at Kansas. I mean, he. I think he's a great coach because I, I, I'll, I'll allude to this recent example that, you know, Remy Martin and Ochoa Bhaji in, in a recent press conference, I can't remember whether it was, I think it was after the Providence game, you know, I think it was Ochai said, I'd run through a wall for Bill Self. And Bernie Martin called him, you know, the best coach in America. And he, he, I think he's a great coach because he's such a great motivator. And, you know, he, he, he's as good of a schemer as any other coach. I mean, so, some of the plays that he's, he runs in games are as good as anybody else. I mean, he's kind of patented for doing the lob dunk off the baseline um, in any precedented game with, you know, as many great athletes as he gets. Um, but, you know, that, 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 that's a really tough question to answer because Bill Self does so many things right. He's, you know, I'd I, I argue he's up there in that upper echelon of college coaches. You know, not on the Mount Rushmore quite yet, but, you know, a lot of people kind of forget about Bill Self because you know, he doesn't have the super sexy numbers. He, he only has four final fours now, including this year. He's only got one championship. But, you know, in terms of just pure success, Selfs had about as much as anybody. I mean, he now holds the record for the most, you know, I think it's it was 14 straight conference champion regular season conference championships, broke John Wooden's record um, at UCLA. And, You know, overall, i just say he's a great coach because he does just about everything right, or at least as much as you can.
0: Who's more beloved than Kansas, Roy or Bill?
2: It's Bill. (laughs) Um, I'll be honest. After Roy left for North Carolina, um, I think it was 2003 or 2004, after he had gotten into the national championship, they had just lost to Syracuse, um... There, there, there was a lot of bitterness in Lawrence for a while after that. You know, people, people weren't happy with Roy. It started to fade a little bit more as you know Bill really got those teams, especially two thousand eight, where they went on to beat Roy Williams in the Final Four. I think you, you started to see that bitterness dissipate more and more as the years went along. People, people started to you know have a retrospective and say, okay, Roy Williams was. You know, possibly the second or third best coach that KU's ever had, which is saying something because KU's had some pretty unbelievable coaches. But, you know, and I think this year, now that now that he's done, it kind of, people really realize how great Roy Williams was at Kansas because he came back to Allen Fieldhouse and sat courtside earlier in the season. I want to say it, it, it was their sixth or seventh game. And, you know, he said, yeah, okay, I'll come back and sit courtside for a game. Man, he got a huge standing ovation. And I think think that bitterness that was once there doesn't really exist anymore. But in terms of who's more beloved, it's probably Bill Self, partly because he did the one thing that Roy Williams couldn't do at Kansas. He, He won a national championship, which, you know, you look back at some of those Roy Williams teams, and it's really hard to believe that he never could get the monkey off his back to get a national championship. And it's kind of a shame because, man, some of those teams—you know—the last team that he had, Nick Carlson, Kirk Heinrich, Jeff Graves—you know, the team before that had those same guys plus Drew Gooden. He had, you know, that—you know—some unbelievable late '90s teams. You know, with Paul Pierce, Scott Pollard, Shaq Vaughn. It's pretty unbelievable that he was never able to win a championship in KU because he got so close.
0: Nathan, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun talking basketball.
0: And once again, I want to thank both Landon Rhodes and Nathan for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 411th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk!